Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Last Drinks. Are you a parent? Are you freaking the hell out about being a parent? Because uh, I sure am. Parenting, I have a four-year-old. Um, he's a little diamond, little Henry, and God, I love him so much. But man, the thought of him growing up and the things that he's going to have to face and overcome and endure and, and you know, learn and go through just, God, it can just weigh on me as a parent. And, you know, one thing that I am going to have to talk to my son about at some point in his life is his relationship with alcohol. And we'll have a big conversation about what alcohol is, why mum doesn't drink, why he's never seen me drink. Um, And I know that there are plenty of other parents out there that will be having that conversation and it will go in a really different way. Because the conversation will be, this is why mum and dad do drink and why moderation is okay. And I think the conversation, however it is going to look for you and your kids, um, so long as it's on the cards and it's something that you're thinking about, I think is the key here. So uh, I know for myself uh, how I feel about alcohol, what I've learned about it and why I'm going to be able to have a conversation with Henry about what it might look like for him when he's a teenager and there are parties happening and whatever. Um, Also, you know, I'll be able to talk to alcohol consumption from a health perspective and a brain development perspective. And I just think um, the chat that I have on the podcast today is really going to equip parents, whether you're a drinker or not, you know, if you're maybe struggling with your relationship with alcohol, it, it might be something that you look at redefining because you have to have or you want to have a conversation with your kids about it because you don't want your kids to go down the same road. And I think if that's the catalyst for change in your world, uh, for you to redefine your relationship with alcohol, that's great. Um, That's a win-win. So my guest today is Isabella Ferguson, and she is an absolute weapon when it comes to explaining alcohol to kids. She is just so articulate. She is so smart and savvy. She's done the research and this is what she does. She facilitates these conversations. So if you're a parent, if you're sober or not, it really doesn't matter. At this point, this information is for, you know, anyone who's got that chat with their kids on the horizon about alcohol consumption in our society and around our peers. So I loved this chat with Isabella. Um, she has She does some really great work. If you want to check out all of her stuff, she has a website, isabellaferguson.com.au. Um, she's got a, you know, counseling and life coaching background and she's just, 
She's just epic. So I I loved this chat. I hope you do too. Enjoy Last Drinks with Isabella Ferguson, uh, specifically about how to talk to your kids about alcohol. I almost want to like not even talk about you. I want to talk about our kids. I have a four-year-old and um, I don't drink alcohol, but I am just so lost as to the conversations I'm going to need to have with him as he, you know, gets into the teenage years. I had my first drink at 15. I think a lot of people did. And thank God for people like you because you are helping us, you know, facilitate these conversations. So where do we start with, you know, the conversation with alcohol and kids in just across the board? I think we need to start, first of all, with our connection with our kids. So well before we get to the specifics about alcohol, if in the early years we're connecting with them well, we're asking them about their opinions, we're forming a tight bond, that's the the platform to really launch then into the alcohol conversation, which I think should be starting around 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, But there's no hard and fast rule. You've Mm. got to meet your kid where they're at and it's never too late. It's Mm. never too late. You can always bring it, pull it back and have the conversation whenever it works. But I think when they're around 10 years old is a really good place to start because we know from statistics that when they're around as young as four, five, six, they're already developing an understanding around alcohol being mummy's drink, daddy's drink. They're picking up images and sounds and smells. And this has been um, shown in international surveys. And I can give you those stats, Mm. you know, separately to this. And then by the time they're hitting 10 years old, they're fully aware that alcohol holds some kind of, um, I guess, substance in it that is different to what they drink. And they're Mm. starting to form beliefs around the place that and the role that alcohol has in their world. So they know that alcohol already is there with mum and dad when they're celebrating, when they're at birthdays, when Mm. there's a festive occasion to relax. So they're forming those beliefs that we know we need to then untangle much later on when we're trying to, yeah, get out of alcohol. So we want to get in early. So this is, that's really helpful because I I really think, like, let's not bullshit each other. It's really hard to say to your kid, you shouldn't do this when you're doing it. And I am not shaming anyone right now. I'm just being real. It is a tougher place to parent from if you haven't got something in check. So if you are in a position where your relationship with alcohol is dependent and you lean into alcohol to relax, to unwind, to celebrate, and that is how you do your life, okay, that's your story. But then you've got a really big challenge ahead trying to educate your child that there's a different way to unwind after a hard day at school or um, you know, avoid dealing with what bullying might be going on or whatever's going on for your kid in their very, very real and big world of emotions at, at those really still like early developmental ages. So yeah. to wind it back a little bit, like as adults, when we're having these conversations with our kids, 
and we're doing a bit of like it's monkey say, not monkey do. Like how does that is that confusing for our kids when we're saying stay away from alcohol, mate? It's not. It's only going to end you up in a world of pain. And but then dad's like smashing a couple of beers at the barbecue. How does that work for our kids? It's confusing and it sends a mixed message. They want to be able to, I guess, copy us. They, our actions speak louder than words when it yeah. comes to things like alcohol. So the way that. I think we really need to get around this is to really address it head on and have a fireside chat with our kids about why we drink and why we drink the way we do. And it just needs to be factual, succinct, but filled with a bit of vulnerability around our own drinking story. And I think this is important on a number of fronts because It shows to them the gravitas of this conversation. Mm. We're letting them into our world by saying, well, this is why I drink. Um, So it's got that mutual trust, mutual respect. Mm. And then you're actually taking away the power and allure of alcohol by saying, look, this is why this substance is present at a lot of the gatherings that you see. You might see mummy having a glass of wine in the evening or drinking a bit too much at a party this is why and god that's confronting yeah, because but you having that conversation with your buddies is we adults don't have those conversations we don't sit down and and be vulnerable with each other and go you know what i think i'm really like processing some childhood trauma and that's why i'm drinking because i don't want to deal with the bigness of all of the crap that's happened in my life we just go yes. have a wine doll cuz it's tough you know yeah. and so even that as a first point is a really healthy one as adults to take accountability and responsibility for your relationship with alcohol and at least admit it to yourself that this is why you drink if you are drinking. Yeah. And like, I don't think it has to be long-winded and deep and reveal wounds in our life. Mm. I think we can really simplify it. And if we write it out first and bounce it off a friend, Mm. you can really just say things like, um, I've sometimes I wish I'd drink less than I did. Sometimes I'd like to have no alcohol, but I sometimes find myself reaching to fit in or to socialize. I'd like to be healthier, to be honest, and I'm going to try and pull back my alcohol if I can, Mm. if that's your story. Yes. Yours might be a little bit different, but you can say to them things like, you know, I'm just as vulnerable to alcohol advertising as the next person. Um, I have somehow developed a a need to have it when I'm socialising, unwinding. I'm going to try and drink less. Look, you can kind of make up the story that feels right for you. Um, But I think it's really good just to invite them into this very real Mm. conversation and say to them, it can become a crutch. Yeah, It is addictive. I'd like to drink less because it makes me feel like crap the next day. Mm. And even, you know, even things like there's a reason why you got to be 18 to buy alcohol. And so we're having conversations with kids at 10 on a substance that they're not legally allowed to consume until they're 18, which just reinforces to me it's so accessible, it's so normal, it's almost this, like, unfortunate rite of passage. Like, going back four million years when I was a teenager, it was, <laughs> um, it was like, 
getting wasted for the first time was like inevitable. Like, mm. is it going to be at this party or the whiz after party? Mine was yeah. the whiz after party. And it was humiliating. It was horrendous. I was filled with so much shame and deep regret. Did it stop me drinking? Not at all. I just didn't drink yeah. bourbon the next weekend, you know? Yeah. And it's so, it was like there was no option and no way out of it. And I want that narrative to change for my kids' generation, definitely, but also kids that are, you know, in that sort of preteen, early teen stage. I don't know if you're across it. I'm sure you are, but there is a lot of research coming out to say and suggest that the younger generations actually don't drink alcohol so much, right? So I had this conversation on the podcast a few weeks ago with my friend, Mossy, who, um, beautiful friend from the gym who quit, um, started working out and then she quit drinking and has just completely transformed her life. And she's got teenagers and she told her kids, I'm going to stop drinking for a period of time. And they were like, finally, mum, like <laughs> what you're like, literally her teenager, I think who's super sassy and independent, which makes sense when you know Mossy, but her kid was just like, thank God, like, what are you even putting poison in your body for? And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they notice, don't they? They and, notice at the change in us. But how good is that that they are looking, I mean, it's not good that they're looking at us be absolute nincompoops and they're going, oh, I'm not going to do that. But at least, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not setting a good example. But yeah. at least they're, I feel like they're way savvier and because that was not my experience. Like when I was a teenager, it was like, Whatever that thing is, like, I'm having it. And I don't care if my parents tell me it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't care what Happy Healthy Harold says. Like, yeah. I'm in because that's how I get acceptance in this peer group. And that's the only yeah. way I'm going to survive being a teenager. I, it's different now. Yeah. Look, the, the stats are definitely showing that. So one in 10 had never consumed alcohol in 1999, but it's one in three now. That's so huge. The, the stats are great. The, the only thing that we need to be aware of is that when you, they get up to year 10, um, they are drink, that those that do choose to drink are drinking at riskier levels. Mm. So risky is defined as having more than four drinks on any one occasion in the last month. Um, it's around 28% of those that are in year nine that are drinking at risky levels. And this jumps up to nearly 40% in year 10. So, um, mm. shoot. <laughs> yeah. So in being a non-drinker is becoming an increasingly viable option for our kids. Right. So good. But there is a quite a sizable cohort mm. when you're hitting that year 10 level that are drinking at riskier levels. Where are kids getting alcohol from? Because I remember, so for me, there was a guy in our grade called Richard who had a friend called Naz who was 18. And so Naz bought us all alcohol. We gave him money and he bought us booze. And that was just, is that still where all our kids are getting booze from? Is this from someone they know who's a little bit older? Yeah, it's coming from um, older siblings. Oh, sure. But there is also a percentage that is when they're hitting you 10, 11, 12, it's actually coming from parents. Mm. So that are of that view that if they're going to drink alcohol, I'm going to allow them to drink it safely at in home. my own home. So that's what the surveys are picking up. As what, well. are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is it, if you're going to, 
it, God, it's so hard. But it's like, yeah. okay, if you're going to drink, I'd rather you do it here so that you're in a safe place. You don't need to get anywhere. Mm. I can I can monitor things, you know, like is that is that a good idea or is that not a good idea? Yeah, look, I do want to preface just what I'm about to say because it is controversial. Lots of parents really want to feel able to parent in the way that they feel is the right way to parent. So I would often say, do your research, get the best advice, follow Mm. your own heart. Love that. But the surveys are showing that there is absolutely, absolutely no precautionary measure or benefit gained from allowing safe, in inverted quotes, drinking under your roof in the family home. Okay. And in fact, you're probably doing them a disservice because you're you're inferring that um, you need it to socialise, you need it to relax, that it's actually okay Mm. when, in fact, I think the guidance should be coming from parents to say, look, um, your brain's still developing, you're you're not yet the legal limit and there's a reason for it being the legal limit. Um, It is an addictive substance and I, as your parent, are really taking the firm view, firm view that uh, you you really can't be drinking unless un, and until you're reaching the safe um, age. Mm. And there's going to be pushback and resistance and, again, parents just need to do what they feel is right in their own yeah. households. But um, it, it, it it's not helping them gain drinking skills or drinking responsibly. Mm. It's an addictive substance. Mm. Um and also with the stats showing that it's a viable option now for them to choose not to drink, mm. don't encourage it. Yeah. You know? um, the, the best thing you can do is just uh, model, role model for them in your own home that you can relax and socialise without it as more, you know, more often than not in your own household. I think you've really hit on something that I'm really passionate about and that is the developing brain, right? Mm. So the prefrontal cortex in a boy is not developed until they're 24 years old. So I'm of the opinion that like, unless you're 25, you should not be allowed to make big decisions (laughs) because Your logic and reason, that part of your brain that actually stops you doing dumb stuff isn't even fully developed, right? And then like your brain's a muscle and you've got to, you know, you've got to actually work the prefrontal cortex to get the hang of it. So by the time you're 30, you're like, oh man, making good decisions is getting easier. So it's, it's really a good point and a good one for parents to say, hey, I want you to protect your brain and and your brain is still developing. And so you put this substance in your body and it's going to have an impact in your brain's development, which means you're going to be dumber yeah. and your cognitive function, your cognition is not going to be optimum. And you're in a season of life where we want to optimise your learning capabilities, your cognitive function, you know, the executive decisions, that you, all of that stuff in your brain. And I think as parents and as adults, we don't even have that understanding about what alcohol does to our brains. But think about it, right? Yeah. 
you have a big day, you have a couple of wines, you feel relaxed. But at some point, you start dancing on the tables and that's not normal behaviour for you. And so the, the alcohol is doing something. It's changing you and the way you are operating, um, that operating system in your brain. And sometimes it's not always for the good, right? So I think that is a really big one that parents can take away from this to go, you know what, like I'm not ready to face the music on my own relationship with alcohol, but at least I'm going to do a bit of research and talk to my kid about how it's going to hurt their brain. And that's yeah. not that's not a good thing. You know, no one wants that for their kid at all, right? Yeah. I think it's really good to actually have the conversation with the kids about the science behind alcohol. Mm. You've got to pick the right moment. They're going to be have to be receptive and not pushing away and rolling their eyes. <laughs> but you you can really you can really do it quite succinctly and in and in an engaging way, where you're basically saying this alcohol is an artificial, um, you know, stimulant that will release dopamine, which is our reward center in our brain, and it's going to make you want to think you need it. You're going to create that desire. From the very first drink, your brain's going to go, okay, this is good for me, just like it does with sugar and gaming, mm. all those things that, oh my God, yeah. you know, it, it starts to think that we need it for our survival, mm. but it's being manipulated by this artificial substance. And so you're just wanting to lay the foundation with the scientific basis of what alcohol does as well. Um, and then the next layer is to say, well, then we start forming beliefs around it. Mm. Um, and then also an, another layer that I think is really important is just to also teach them a little bit about their nervous system and how to manage anxiety and nerves when they're socialising so they feel less inclined to reach for alcohol when they're out and about to settle those nerves because that's a large reason why they will reach for it. So I want them to, yeah, sorry, Maz. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you got some practical, like, you know, I, I'm a cold shower person, right? So um, I, and no one wants to have a cold shower in the morning, right? But I wanted a cold shower more than I wanted a hangover. And so one of my sobriety tools, I'm eight years sober, but a thing that I do every morning is I get up and I have a freezing cold shower because it releases as much dopamine in your brain as a line of cocaine. Now, I've never done cocaine, um, but, man, I've seen people on it and it, and they look like they're having a great time. And so um, your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain's just, it's just releasing the hormone, right? And so that cold shower dopamine hit first thing in the morning is the reason why I'm so bubbly at 6 a.m. when I'm on the radio, right? <laughs> and so I feel like there's all these tools that we have available that no one really talks about that can stimulate that reward and pleasure centre in our brain without having the attachment to alcohol. So can, can you talk to that? Absolutely. So there are so many wonderful techniques you can introduce to your kids and it's never too early. I love your cold shower. <laughs> I think then, we, then we've got the basic pillars of just really good sleep, exercise, nutrition. And then beyond that, you, you're really going to suss out um, well, how nervous are they when they are in a social gathering and they're going to be on different, um, you know, a sliding scale of the spectrum of quite fearful down to just feeling edgy or nervous. Mm. Breathing exercises are wonderful because they can do it whenever they want to. They know that um, it's going to switch their body, in, their nervous system down into activated, into calm. Um, you can also do basically like talking them through the whole social gathering. So you, you're going to visualise what mm. you're going to do when you get there. 
what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? When are you going to call me? When are you going to come home? And so then they're kind of visualized what's going to happen when they're out and about. And it kind of then just takes away the fear of the unknown. Um, there's also those wonderful apps that are out there that help with meditation mm. and you've got Headspace and Smiling Mind. So I've, I introduced that to a lot of the teenagers I work with. Um, and then really just giving them an understanding of the sliding scale of your nervous system. So I love to like do this um, this exercise with the teenagers I work with, which says, well, when you're down here, you're at a, a say a level one on the nervous system scale, mm-hmm. where are you? And they'll say, I'm patting my dog or I'm at the beach or I'm Cute. with my parents. Yeah. What happens when you're up here? And they'll say, I've just walked into a crowded room and I don't know anyone there. And then we work out, well, how can I notch myself back down the scale so I'm feeling less agitated? I love that. Um, That's there are so, so many tools. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so they're knowing that they're empowered to be able to control their own system without reaching for an external substance. I think, and one thing I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because I still don't quite know how I feel about anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And I, as an adult, I've suffered more anxiety than I did as a child. As a child, I remember um, in a performance scenario feeling so excited. I was like the kid that did gymnastics on stage and I loved it. And the, you know, the, we got a standing ovation when I did the talent quest and, and I was a bit of a performer. And then as I got older, um, I really heavily relied on alcohol to dull down those feelings. Mm. And, and now as a sober person, I'm very acutely aware when I'm feeling, and my anxiety is more related to my overactive imagination and catastrophizing imaginary situations as a parent, which is hectic but it is there (laughs) I do have a therapist that I'm working with um but I I all I I can sit with my anxiety and process it and I'm not afraid of it and I don't know if that's useful I don't because sometimes I feel like we want to like get rid of the anxiety like don't but sometimes I feel like the anxious energy is similar to excited and it can be Anxiety can be a good thing sometimes when it, yeah. but then it's like, it's like this pendulum swing. And at what point does it, you know, swing to this is crippling and I, I can't do this. I don't know. How do you feel about like, do we want anxiety to just go or do we need to just learn to moderate it better? Oh, uh, it depends on how much it's impacting your everyday life. Okay. You know, it, You've got to work out, is it stopping you from socialising, forming bonds and relationships mm. and really being able to sustain a healthy life? So if, okay. it's beyond, if it's beyond that level, then I think that's when a parent would say, look, let's, let's talk about this and see if we need to get some external help. Sure. But if it's, mani- if it's manageable, I think it's really useful for kids to be able to put words to their feelings, um, first of all, mm. trust Yeah, and trust that they're feeling in an anxious state and being able to work through it. I think what you said is spot on that um, we are most kids don't know how strong they are. So it's not a catastrophic thing to feel anxiety. Yeah. You can, you're going to get through it. And the more you exercise that muscle of knowing you can get through an anxious moment and it's going to come off the the wave, Mm. you 
you become less fearful of it. And yeah. you, it, you know that you're stronger and you can deal with it. Um, but it's there are various tools you can use that can help manage the mindset of a teenager. Mm. So you could look at turning negative thoughts into more positive thoughts, exercising gratitude. So they're sort of scanning the radar for positives in their life. Yeah. Um, and, and journaling. It's it's really finding the resource and the supports that's right for your teenager. Yeah. Um, and also just trying to create the connection. So, you know, when it comes to things like alcohol, particularly as they're hitting that 13, 14-year-old age, mm. their their evolutionary instinct is to push parents away and not listen to us and want to go venture out and seek um more, seek out their peers. They're trying to find their tribe. Yeah. So our influence and in being able to uh, advise them and guide them, it's becoming more tenuous. And that's our frustration because 100%. we've got these great messages around yeah. alcohol. We're wanting to, mm. um, and all the rest of it, anxiety and socialising. We've got our household rules there about socialising, but they're pushing us away. So we've got to work out how we maintain that thread and connection with them yeah because our influence is currency and had and the way that we do that is really coming right back to that basic that we started with and that's our connection with them mm. we want to have quality connection we want to keep them talking to us and that's just based on mutual trust and respect um and it's also particularly i think what i see a lot of parents doing particularly when it comes to things like alcohol is you start to freak out. You start to really want to batten down the hatches and you can kind of switch into that controlling parenting style Mm. where you ground them or don't want them to go out or you can switch into wanting to overmanage their life. And what we know is that then can really breed rebellion and push them away from us entirely. So it's that tension between trying to guide them and keep them safe and have boundaries around socializing versus wanting to keep them listening to us and connect with us and have mm. inroads. And so it's, it's delicate. Yeah. It's a delicate, which, which is why getting in early is quite important on this issue of alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just to that, like I, you know, I've got a four-year-old and we, I love we have a really open dialogue around language and feelings. I'm, I'm mm. hot on language and feelings And so we have, um, like we've got the colored zones on his wall. And so if, if he's feeling certain feelings, he could be in the red zone, which is, there's a lot of, there's anger, there's, but like super hyper up, um, he's all in the red zone. The yellow zone is like joy and fun. And then there's sadness. And so we, at times, like if he's having, you know, a stage 10 meltdown because, we ran out of Cheerios. I don't know, whatever four-year-olds <laughs> lose their tiny minds about. And it's like, it's gone to like crazy level, like bananas level. I'll go, come on, buddy, let's go upstairs. I need you to show me what zone you're in. And we go upstairs and more often than not, like when he's, you know, tantruming, he'll point to the red zone and I'm like, are you feeling, are you feeling sad or angry? And then he'll explain that. And so, and the other thing that I found really helpful is the movie Inside Out. We've got the book. And so we've learned how joy can take over the console and stuff. And this is so funny. So the other day I was like in a really shit mood and just, it wasn't my best parenting moment. And Henry (laughs) looked at me and he goes, 
Mum, did anger just take over your console? <laughs> so good. <laughs> and so I was good. like, yes. Yeah. I'm like, I need to get back in that yellow zone, kid. <laughs> but I loved that he called me out. And I'm like, this accountability is healthy, you know, because I'm helping him to be accountable for the feelings. And, you know, we don't, we can't decipher between like, joy and like, do you know what I mean? Like we can't really nut it down too specifically at age four, but at least we can get those zones and those colors. And so he knows like, oh yeah, I'm sad. And this is why. And it's just been really helpful. And I'm hoping that that dialogue and accountability is going to be something that just continues in our relationship. So when we do have conversations about you know, drinking or whatever's going on for him when he's a teenager or there's peer pressure or vaping or, oh, my God, porn, I can't even. But, like, (laughs) all these things that I want him to be able to come to us with and not, you know, shut it all down and and pretend that he, you know what I'm saying? So that's just a, a really, for any parents with little ones, like, I highly recommend, like, you can actually, I think, inside out, like Disney Pixar have done the emotions charts that you can print out and stick on your kids' bedroom walls. And I've found it really, well, I mean, it's bit me in the butt in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what a lovely foundation you've created yeah, of being yeah. able to verbalise what the feelings are, know that you can shift the feelings. Yes. They're not going to just stay there and they're not yeah. scared of them. I mean, yeah, that's... God, I wish I wish I probably had that at the age of thirty. So, <laughs> oh my God, I four yeah. year old. Yeah, all the tools Big I'm world. giving my four year old, I'm really just giving myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> mummy needs the emotions chat. <laughs> yeah, but also what you're showing to him is that you're vulnerable and you're human as well. Yeah, and I, you yeah. know, I, what a what a what a gift. Thank you. What a gift. Yeah, yeah. it's just so it terrifies me. Like, you know, the older he gets, I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> well, I'm not ready. Parenting is just this, like, really slow process of letting go. Um, but I'm also trying to, you know, give him the equipment that I didn't have and I didn't yeah. have. I My upbringing, and I love my parents. Like, they're, you know, rest in peace to my dad and um, love mum so, so, so much. But it's like, man, you guys gave me nothing. <laughs> It was just, it was conform, it was scare tactics, it was, you know, discipline, it was like spare the rod and spoil the child. It was it was that mentality and, and grew up in a hyper-religious family environment, which was just, you know, there were elements yeah. that were good, but a lot of it I'm finding out in later life was really more of a disservice. And that's yeah. not anything against them. They did what they did with the tools that they had I am seeking out more productive tools for me predominantly as a human being, but also for this little person that I decided to put on the planet and taking accountability for, I want to make sure he's a good one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do entirely. Um, And look, a lot of the research is that our attachment style, which is anxious or avoidant or secure, Mm. is very much a generational style that um, the origins of which start when we're young. Yeah. And the more secure a style that we can try and um, create for our kids, it's then going to help them when they're older and hitting teenage years to be less avoidant or less anxious with their connections. 
Yeah. Um, and more, the more secure they are, then the more they're going to trust their decisions, be less susceptible to peer pressure. Mm. Um, and then the, the, it's, it's all, you're just creating this um, security for them to be more well-rounded when they yeah. get older. I mean, nothing is set in stone. No, I know. I, you know. We and we're all, all, everyone makes massive mistake. Like we're, you know, no, no one's perfect and it's all a journey. And But yeah. in saying that, you want to, you know, well, I want to just equip my kid with all, with the best tools and resources to, to navigate it well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think for anyone listening, if you have teenage children and you, you know, drink a, a bit or a lot of alcohol and you've mm. landed on this episode because you're like, oh, my God, I'm a parent and it's too overwhelming and help, my encouragement would be have the conversation with yourself about your own relationship with alcohol before you try and have a conversation with your teenagers about your relationship with alcohol. So at least, as you said, Isabel, at the very beginning of this, like at least then you kind of know like what you're going to say, write it down, rehearse it and be honest. And if you, and then that might actually um, bring you to a place where you're like, huh, maybe I should rein this in. Maybe I should see what sobriety looks like so I can show my teenager that living in sobriety is maybe a better choice and a, it's a better way to um, show, like, you know, monkey, monkey do, monkey see, monkey do, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the predicament that I found myself in. I had to actually go because of my way to rehab for four weeks because of my own drinking behavior mm. and then come back into my kids' lives. They were still quite young. So that the really they hadn't fully developed a great understanding of what happened to me and where I was wow. at. But I had to have that conversation with them to say, this is the struggle I had with alcohol. Yeah. This is the predicament I found myself in. And this is what I did for me and for you mm. to address the situation. And it was fabulous. I mean, the fear that I had before mm. that conversation was immense, yeah. but largely unfounded because for them, yeah. they were just like, all oh, right, so cool. what happened, mum? Yeah. So yeah. what did you do? And how you, they had, and this, and it starts the conversation going that wow. never ends. So I had that conversation with them a couple of years ago and even then on the weekend they, they're they talking to me about alcohol because once you've opened the the gate, yeah. then they're always going to be then looking at alcohol differently and, uh, and they know that it's safe to ask you that question. Yeah. So I think we all can write it down, think of the stories, think of what they see around the house and ask them the question. So what do you notice about mum and dad drinking? Mm. Um, what are your thoughts around that? What would you like to know? Uh, because otherwise it's just this magical substance that yeah. they're not allowed to talk about. You want to be able to kind of get real about it, I think. I totally and, agree. Yeah. And not just leave it up to school either. Mm. Yes, school does do, you know, a little bit of education around alcohol, but, but... us at home are the ones that they see drinking it. Yeah. Um, and can I ask... Mm. Um, just out of my own curiosity, what was the level of mum guilt or did you feel any when you packed a suitcase and went away for four weeks to rehab? Oh, immense. 
Because I can, I can guarantee you someone is listening to this going, well, I probably need to do that. But I'm going to stay because my kids need me. And so that wrestle like that, and I've actually had, I, and I know, I know someone that's been through this exact situation and the conversation was I'm staying because I don't want to leave my kids for a few weeks. And my counter argument was, yeah, but you're going to leave them temporarily to come back as the best version of yourself. So I feel like that's excusable. Yeah, I do. It right? is. It's, it's self care to the max. Yeah, and it's um, the best style of parenting you could aim for. Wow, if you're able to. Yes, I, mean, I know. I was, uh, you know, it's it's yes. hard, it's expensive, and it's like it's a loaded, complex in. topic. But but if totally. it's available to you, oh. um, yeah, because I I mean the mum guilt. Oh God, just in general, life is crippling. <laughs> yeah, the the mum guilt was extreme, and I spent mm. four weeks. Um, probably 80% of my time um, in a state of anxiety, worrying about what my kids were going to think of me and my, mm. my stepdaughters, they're older, mm. um, and worrying how I was going to integrate back into society. So I was, it was all about what other people thought of me, which was probably a large reason why I was there in the first place because I was drinking. Yeah, it's all people-pleasing elements all bundled up. Mm, yes. But um, the... It's a fact of life. I got caught up in alcohol. I struggled, overdrank, and it just snowballed into this horrible situation where I needed mm. to eject out of the situation I was in, yeah. seek some time out and help. And that was just the beginning because yeah. then I had to come back in and do the work. But um, I think my relationship with my kids are so much better for it because I've been able to tell them that I wasn't invincible, mm. that I stumbled, that I got caught up in this addictive substance and it, it controlled my life more than I controlled it. And, I, you know, I'm able to say, well, learn from my mistakes. Yeah. You know, if I buried that underground and didn't address it, how are they ever going to learn from what I went through? 100%. But I'm able to say to them that, I started drinking when, when I was young, when I was your age, mm. um, because I was lacking confidence, because I didn't know who I was, because I was seeking external validation from friends. And I, and that just continued on and on and on until, you know, it all, I hit the red zone <laughs> in my early 40s and needed yeah. help. Um, so I'm able to tell them that it can happen to anybody, even mm. the most happiest, um, life of the party, somebody that was really enjoying her life. But it could happen to anybody. And that conversation then allows them to know that it's okay to come to me with any struggle. It doesn't yeah. have to be about alcohol. Yeah. But, you know, we've, we've shared and they can share with me. And I think that's one of the sneaky things about alcohol is that it's not a problem until it's a problem and then it's usually a big problem. You know, yeah. like it's yeah. a couple of drinks here, maybe just on weekends, no one's getting wild in the aisles, no one got hurt, it's all good. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't remember that. And <sighs> a bit of blackout drunkenness here and there. And it just escalates, but so incrementally until one day you're like, oh, my God, I yeah. cannot get through a day without this stuff now. Now yeah. what do we do? And what yeah. will people think? And that's what, oh, I just commend you on, you know, really – 
facing up to that, fronting up to that and going, okay, I'm going to go get help because um, look at you now, you know, and look at the permission you have to speak into people's lives and the parents that are thanking you for doing <laughs> the work so that you can offer other parents tools is, is really, it's really, really wonderful. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for saying, Maz. I mean, I guess you've got to use these experiences for good to be able to kind of make peace with it as yeah. well. You know, I've got to be able to turn all of that horrendous, um, well, the horrendous patch in my life that where things mm. got, you know, I did hit a pretty nasty rock bottom, which many don't. Mm. So I may as well use it to um, make myself feel like it was worthwhile for some sort of reason. <laughs> and, um, yeah, look, I... As you know as well, if you come out publicly and say, this is what happened to me, I did some really silly things with alcohol and got caught up in it mm. and shine a light on it, then it helps those that are, you know, struggling in silence a little. But but I, but I most certainly came back and was hyper vigilant around mm. alcohol and my kids and just wanting to try and say, look, um, this is what it can do. So let's know about it before we start um, being exposed to it and sipping from it when we're at parties, which I know, you know, that's, that happened. It's going to happen really young for our kids yeah, in Australia. It is. I mean, I don't like quoting stuff from my religious past, but <sighs> a great preacher once said, um, you can turn your mess into your message yeah, if you do yeah. the work. And I love that because, first of all, that can be applied to anyone. It can also be applied to any mess. And it also applies to every message. And that's exactly what you've done. You had a big old mess and you have turned it into something that's really practical and really helpful for other people. So, And you know the irony of it all is that it's it was the opposite of that. It was this trying to portray this image of perfectionistic mm. Um, ideal trying to be that perfect mum that was doing the living the life that you wanted everybody to to um, support and validate was part of the reason why um, it was so exhausting and I couldn't keep up and was not being vulnerable and sharing and connecting properly which led to alcohol filling that void yeah so you can kind of yeah flip it on its head and do the exact opposite now and live radically honestly and I guess use it to, yeah, be messy, expose the mess and use it to be helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I I just could probably talk to you for four days straight. Um, <laughs> but I understand that people like listening in about 35-minute chunks. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I am long-winded. I love it. Thank you so much. What a great message. Where um, where can people catch up with you if they're curious or if they want to do, you've got some online courses and stuff that parents can get stuck into? Yeah. So I've got a, um, you can find me at kidsandalcohol.com.au and you'll see a course that's there that's pay what you want, um, how to talk to your kids about alcohol. So it actually has videos you can watch with your kids that explains cool. alcohol. It's got some draft scripts there depending on how you want to share your story. So that's a good starting point for the kids and alcohol story. Um, 
And then that's just a page on my general website, which is just isabellaferguson.com.au. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Anytime, Maz. Thank you for having me on. I really love your pod. So, yeah, I I really love my pod too. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.